El Retro Magi would like to acknowledge that all the opinions and the views expressed on Into the Ether are that of the hosts and do not reflect upon our sponsors. Thank you and enjoy. Get in and take the ride, man. Sit back, smoke them if you got them, as we take you on another trip into the ether. Welcome back, everybody. This is Big John Stick, otherwise known as that guy, introducing you to Sammy Slickback, Little Gravano Jr., El Rocho. What's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing good. I have to say that because my man over here has these gucci glasses are they gucci yeah he's he's slick he's slick that's all i'm saying he's styling (laughs) and he puts on these things he gets this new haircut and he slicks his hair back and i shit you not the guy looks like sammy the bull some kind of mafioso (laughs) (laughs) even our boss says it is kind of (laughs) cool gotta be a pimp bro gotta be a pimp hey man whatever way you gotta get that swagger get it you know what i'm saying so it is march 31st which also means it is the beginning of the april month with the april showers and the soon impending easter holiday signifying a change in time and a change in generation and el rocha will go ahead and kind of explain that to you what we really want to talk about on this episode is that the differences between the generations from old to now because there is a big difference. You know, everybody looks at my age group as, you know, a more radical sense. Yeah. Like we want to be more, uh, what is that new democratic thing that they're trying to go for? Um, the socialism, socialism, democratic socialist. Yeah. That's what everybody thinks that we consider ourselves a socialist now, but we find it that we, at least from my view is that I seen what a breakdown of a family is. I seen what a breakdown of like, how the jobs and, you know, our faith and education, everything decided to take a crash. And so now I can understand the point of what a f- what family is. I don't need to go step in somewhere, go see somewhere to feel like I'm connected with someone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The generational gap, I mean, because just between us alone, I mean, we're, we're second cousins. We're almost 10 years apart, six years apart. And... We were talking earlier about what what separates us mostly because we have the things that we have in common is we like to smoke down. We like to have, you know, conversations, deep conversations. That's obviously something that we have in common. However, we do have a generational gap between us. And you asked me what that was earlier. And I was like, I think it all actually comes down to like just our taste of music because... When it comes to music, that dictates a lot of what you are in life. And people don't understand that. But you'll see that, like, if you go to work and you have, like, co-workers, you'll see that not everybody listens to the same type of music. So more than likely, they're not going to hang out with each other after work. Right. You're not going to see too many metalheads going out and, you know, chilling at a Juice World concert <laughs> or a 21 Savage concert. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I lean more around the generation of hair band into hip-hop where you're more of a generation of leaving hip-hop and going into nonsense (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry mumble rap or whatever it is you guys call it you know you and i can see why you consider it nonsense you know what i'm saying coming from an older generation hearing what half these people fucking say on the records it is garbage i'm not gonna lie but I'm never going to knock anybody's fucking hustle because this is our hustle and someone's listening to us. So, and to all the people that are listening to us, thank you. But <laughs> everybody, you know, 
everybody has their own hustle, but I see it as someone's outlet. You know what I'm saying? Look at the NBA or the NFL or NHL, you know, all these places are limiting people to one certain group. And if you don't have match that limit, then you can end up, you know, fucking cleaning an ice rink somewhere or, you know, like in the hip hop community, now there's so many avenue avenues of what hip hop is because you were talking about, you know, back that back in your day, if it was all about, you know, break dancing, the beat and graffiti, you know, you need to be a lyricist. You need to handle your own. Now, you can pretty much talk about Gucci, 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 and you fucking make a million. It's awesome because I was able to grow up around that time. Like, I was probably coming of age in the late 80s, but I have, like, older brothers. They're, like, you know, a decade and a half older than me. And, you know, family members that really introduced me to hip-hop back in those, back in, in the 80s, back when I was really young. And I remember back then, like I said, there was three things that really made up hip-hop and that was breakdancing graffiti and rap now somewhere between the 90s and the new millennia it stopped being about the creative content of what your lyrics are doing because when i remember back in the day they, they were storytellers they had these you know big ideas and they wanted to bring reality to light they wanted everybody to see everything that was happening and when you had like the differences of KRS-One jumping into the, the 90s of West Coast hip-hop where they were talking about gangbanging and stuff like that. And then that just kind of molded into Tupac talking about, you know, what we see every day and it brought it into the mainstream and everybody started seeing that, yeah, shit is messed up. It had a message and the lyrical content meant something. And somewhere after that era... I want to say around the millennia, it stopped being about that lyrical content and that storytelling. It started being more about the beat. And like you, sh like you said, fashion. I mean, when Kanye West started selling a $200 regular white tee, I mean, that itself signaled the end of hip-hop for me. You know, like you said, you know, people were lyricists back in the day, but there's only so much that you can talk about being broke, being on food stamps, flipping drugs, fucking, you know, kicking somebody's grandma down the stairs because that's what it was back in the day. You know, they took so much of the movement and put it main mainstream. That but they didn't just talk about that because if you want to go and talk about like Brenda's got a baby and wonder why they call you bitch on Tupac, you also have a great contract to, in his music where like, how do you want it? and America's Most Wanted and stuff like that because he didn't just talk about the bad things in life. He also talked about ways you had to celebrate it. Now it doesn't even have that kind of lyrical content. Now it's just about, like, this little Yachty, this guy's a joke. I mean, I listen to this just little clips and I realize I don't want to hear a whole album. I don't want to hear a mixtape. I don't want to hear anything from SoundCloud. He puts me off. And then when I hear uh, these these younger artists say that well we're not rappers and we're not hip-hop artists and i think to myself okay well at least some of them admit it i'll give them credit because we do have legitimate artists today you know kendrick lamar i don't listen to rap per se like that's just not something that i listen to on an everyday basis now i I do? <laughs> I do i do listen to like the stuff i grew up on like ice cube i'll bump you know ghetto bird in my in my ride you know what i'm saying mm. i'll listen to you know the chronic album i listened to you know old school snoop you know because that's what i grew up on and it was it was fun and it and it also had 
better lyrical content because now it just has none. Now it's just like, hey, I got a good beat. I have a sound synthesizer and I can go ahead and throw it on auto-tune and I can just mumble whatever I want on it and I can get away with it and people buy it up and that's not hip-hop. That's not what hip-hop is. Hip-hop, what you're basically doing is you're taking an art form that was created by the people to express everything that's going on in their lives you took it you flipped it around you monetized it and then you made a cheap version of it and you sold it so now everything that you're talking about what the white man and the man here does about culturally appropriating our bullshit and fucking making it nasty and fuck putting it out there for money now you're just doing that and you're making your own brand cheap and on top of it you know influencing a whole generation of people being on drugs like I ain't gonna lie, you know, Future, T.I., Lil Wayne, these are the people that I looked up to, and I can't even say looked up to, but I listened to them, you know, I grew up with them, and I grew up, you know, flipping drugs, you know, drinking codeine, listening to these people, because this is what they were putting out, and if these people are doing it, making millions of dollars, fucking found a way to make it out of their hood, you know what, I thought I could do it, and then I realized the ghetto life isn't exactly what it's all about, you know, and It's short money. It is. Short money never lasts a long time. And no matter how much of it you make, you're always going to need to keep making more and more and more. And it just ends up running running low, man. And that's why Juice World, you know, when he told Future, like, yo, I started drinking codeine because of you, it made Future think, like, man, I didn't realize the influence I had on that generation because, you know, he was just doing his everyday life. Now, I don't listen to Future did he change because we're just you just brought up like ti and ti he yeah he talked you know i remember back rubber band man days and stuff like that he talked a lot about dealing drugs and stuff but then you could tell like throughout the evolution of his music towards the end of it he's like look what i was talking about wasn't the way you guys need to you know actually get your shit together get it right and give back to the community more than what you take out because i know like T.I. grew up out of that hood phase a long time ago. I mean, he's a legitimate businessman. He has his own show. He, you know, has his own production studios and stuff like that. But the stuff that, the, like you said, when it comes to like these, I don't know, the, you, is it just mumble rappers that do these heavy coding things? And I, I, I remember like 3-6 Mafia doing coding and stuff like that. And I, and I don't condone any of that. And I don't necessarily like all of 3-6 Mafia's music, but I'd never bought an album. You know it's it a part of the culture, you know, and w- the reason why I say that is because like Lil Wayne and T.I. and Future did change. Lil Wayne, you know, he changed once he went to Lil prison. Lil Wayne is smart, though. Oh, yeah, he's very it, talented. Didn't he like get a degree from Harvard or some shit? I don't think he got that high, but uh, he did He did get a degree somewhere, you know, and fucking uh, T.I. changed because when he went to prison, you know, that fucking, he didn't want to go back. But the reason why he went to prison was because of the guns. Well... The reason why he had the guns is because there was boys from New Orleans that came to Atlanta that were looking for him. And the feds didn't think about that. You know, he wasn't trying to sell weapons to fucking... He was trying to sell weapons to protect himself. And, you know, Future, when Future fucking heard this, he didn't want people to know that he stopped drinking codeine because he thought that people would stop listening to him the second that they heard, you know, oh, you're musicking in this scene because you ain't fucked up. That's a fucked up thing to tell someone that... You can't stop doing something because we feel that your music's going to change. So 
It's like we're fucking telling these people, dude, you got to stay fucked up and stay living this fucked up life for us, not for you anymore. And that kind of takes away from the artists. You know what I'm saying? That kind of takes away from their ability to grow because they always got to be stuck with the same people. Well, that's just an artist challenge in general, because no matter what, as an artist, you always seek to grow. And every time you try to grow out of the box that you've been placed in, a lot of people always tend to turn on you. They're going to say that you're not going to sound the same. Well, you know what? Of course I don't sound the same because I, I'm growing. I'm doing something different. I'm trying to step out of what I was doing. I don't want to sound like I sounded last week. And people don't understand stuff like that. But that's just the artist challenge altogether. If you seriously need coding to sound good, then, bro, you probably don't have any talent, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just the way I think. It's just, but I don't see the difference of someone being on coding <coughs> before they create music or, you know, someone taking fucking a bottle to the head before they jump on stage, like your metalheads, you know, I like. Well, you see, and that's a big misconception because not a lot of people do that, especially in the metal world. Metal, metal head, you, no, like, like, yeah, you, you had the old, like, alcoholic days, you know what I'm saying? That was, you know, the the 80s the 80s was the age of yeah the 80s was the age of excess i mean it doesn't matter what you were into it was always to the excess but when you got like towards the back end of the 90s and especially seeing like the big epidemic of like so many talented people that we lost in the community suicide and heroin you got fucking just name them you got Lane Staley from Alice in Chains, Nirvana, fucking Kurt, Kurt Cobain. Cobain. You know what I'm saying? And lead singer of Sublime. They started noticing that, you know, this isn't the way you're going to begin. I mean, you look at the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, Anthony Kiedis, this dude's like almost 60 years old and he's in great shape. These started to realize that, you know, this isn't the way that you're going to go ahead and have longevity. You look at the lead singer of Tool, fucking Jason Maynard. This guy is like, when it comes down to physical fitness and stuff like that, a lot of the people in, in the metal community itself, they, they try to steer away from the big alcohol and the big bad lifestyle. And only the only reason is, is the way that they perform in contrast to the way that you would see a hip hop performer is totally different. You have to be on a total different physical level. And I say that because... I get it. If you're out there on stage, no matter what form and what shape or form, you're always going to be exerting a lot of energy, especially if you're out there jumping up and down, screaming and yelling or whatever. Right. Take, uh, what's the last person you've seen to go rap? Travis Scott. Travis Scott. Okay. He jumps around a lot. He's, yeah, you know, very energetic, right? Now take him and put the level of energy that he put into his show next to nick parker who is a drummer of demi bourgeois you're talking this guy lays down anywhere between you know what is it like 150 to 200 beats per fucking minute fucking just constantly moving his feet moving his hands like these these metal performers are on an athletic level <laughs> you know what i'm saying right yeah um just even seeing the way that they do i mean can you imagine getting out there for three hours and screaming, not yelling and jumping up and getting a breath, but literally just screaming. Night in, night out. Oh my God. You couldn't drink. 
you wouldn't be able to drink. You would, you would, you would thrash your voice within, you know, the first week of a tour. So you have to have a healthier lifestyle, especially in the metal these days. Like I say, yeah, back in the day, 80s, 80s was the age of excess. So, and that's, that's one of those generational gap things that I was, that, that, that we're talking about. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up, started listening to a lot of hair metal. My first concert, I think was Kiss. You know what I mean? It was, my brother was a lot older than me and he was a big hair band type person and he led off into, you know, the harder stuff like Metallica and stuff like that. And then my cousin Boofer, you call him King Art, you know, Iron Maiden like all day long. So I listened to a lot of metal growing up, but also during that time is when NWA started making it really big. Easy e was really making a splash at the time. That's when I started listening to, to rap like more mainstream. It was funny because I was like a 10 year old kid and I was like, getting all these explicit lyric <laughs> tapes and my older cousins were always pissed i remember getting the doggy style album and uh my cousin nano was just whining to his mom he's like he's like three years younger than me why does he get it and i can't and i'm, I'm like because i'm me and you're not <laughs> so i look at my cousin got reno i got the eight mile fucking record swearing and everything and he got the edited version from walmart <laughs> he goes what the fuck man i go hey Sucks to suck, bro. <laughs> it is what it is. But, um, so I actually got to see, like, hip-hop grow into the mainstream. And I was saying earlier that hip-hop is the biggest change in the world from when I was younger. Actually, even before when I was younger. I have to say that hip-hop is probably the biggest change in the world had the biggest impact on not only our culture but our economy than any other business than any other influence since the 80s since its inception basically because look what everything it carries it carries like i said it carries you know clothes jewelry cars houses you know females you know everything that the modern day hip-hop artists became the old school rock star right Hey, but not only the material things, but it had the ability to actually just reach its way in other areas. I mean, especially when you talk about music. I remember the first time I heard uh, Faith No More's Epic, which was the early 90s. And if you guys haven't heard it, it's probably the very first time I've ever heard of like a mishmash of hip hop and hard rock. A lot of people attribute that kind of music to like Corner, Limp Biscuit being the first ones, you know, and then, you know, Linkin Park came along and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But the very first time I actually heard rapping over a metal beat was Faith No More's Epic. And that's when it just, it started dawning on me. I'm like, this, this is going to go different places. And now we hear it in hip hop, we hear it in country. Yeah, trying to cross brands and stuff. And it's and that's just the thing. Hip hop has become such a big alt cultural icon that it is able to transcend different areas. And even though people might not like where it's going and where it's, it still has the ability to do that, and it's going to find a market somewhere. Because Be- it has to with 
people growing with age, you know. Back in the year day, could you hear the word bitch on the radio? Like no, ever? no. Now you hear bitch, you hear everything else pretty much unedited. There's a few words that they censor out, but, you know, to the radio now, to what it was back in the day, there was limits on a certain amount of what they could put on the radio, you know, and now they got XM radio, Sirius radio, fucking Spotify, Apple. Now there's so many avenues for these people to reach out on. Now that's why the music industry has changed because back in the day, if you didn't conform to somebody's style or the way that it would people want to listen to, you wouldn't be on the radio, your records wouldn't sell, you wouldn't get a tour. Now you can fucking put your shitty ass music on SoundCloud and all of a sudden you end up having a fucking tour in a bunch of bars all over the country, you know? So it's like, it's weird how shit changed from back in the day to now. Well, that once again comes down to our old adage of instant gratification because you can't put stuff on like SoundCloud and you can put it on YouTube or Mixer Beats anywhere. I mean, we get most of our music from SoundCloud and it's from this individual named Lackey Inspired. And basically me and El Rocha were trying to think of a good laid back beat, you know, that people could listen to in the background, but never get caught up into, but still, you know, had appeal to it. And this, this gentleman, he's, I think he's based out of Seattle and we found his music and he does all this piano and, and hip hop beats in the background. And we liked it. And that's one of those things. I mean, you're talking about hip hop created in New York and now we're listening to it in the background music from a gentleman from Seattle. Right. And it's that instant gratification that we're able to get to. And you and you're right, when it when it comes down to it, hip hop has a lot of the credit on why we are able to do some of the more explicit content that we're allowed to do on radio and more private avenues as well. I mean, because okay, wait for it. We're going for a little quick history lesson. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So, back in the 80s, for a lot of you who don't know, Al Gore had a very, very pretentious wife named Tipper. And Tipper was very concerned for the lyrical content and the music that was being distributed within the rock communities. We're talking about rock. We're not talking about the NWA. We're not talking about... You public know, enemy and shit like that we're not talking about any of that she's talking about rock music so she decided that she was going to bring a bill towards congress and everybody thought that it was a good idea to go to have people sworn and speak on it a couple of the people that they had were uh, frank zappa twisted sisters lead singer d snyder <laughs> and one gentleman and one gentleman john denver now everybody knows who john denver is Country road, take me home Never heard of it, to no. the place I belong. No, nope. West Virginia. No, <laughs> nope, Mountain not, Mama. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> well, most people know who John Denver is, and he's known as the All-American Boy. You know, very country, very redneck. He grew up over there in the Appalachians. They bring him all to testify in front of the Senate and Tipper Gore about the lyrical content and how they should censor some of the lyrical content in the rock music and the music that they see as the devil's music they come out they all do their piece now here's the great thing about it john dever was brought in on the conservative side to speak against everybody else and on the side of censorship right right 
they butter this guy up. They like get him plane rides, do like zero G, float in space, give him a tour to NASA. They do all this shit. They're buttering this guy up, giving him grants here, free flying lessons there. And this dude's taking it all up left and right. D. Snyder gets on stage. He makes this dramatic speech. Everybody claps. He gets off. Frank Zappa gets on stage, makes a dramatic speech. Everybody gets up. They're like, okay, now John Denver's coming up. He's on our side. By golly, he's going to hit it home just for us. Dude goes out there and he plays it like a pimp. He was just like, I am an all-American boy. I believe in the Constitution. I believe censorship is a violation of the First Amendment. So he pretty much shit it all over everybody. After taking every single thing that they gave him. <laughs> and that is the day, my friends, that John Denver became a rock legend. Not just a country boy and a true American. That's when they started putting out the parental advisory stickers, right? Exactly. And you seen the explicit lyrics and the explicit content that started getting labeled. They couldn't censor it, but they could tell people exactly what it was. Did you see, have you noticed, like, I know records aren't and CDs aren't a big thing much anymore, but I could tell from, like, when I first got my CD, like half the album cover was like a parental advisory sticker to see. And now it's like it barely fucking's on there. Like it's barely like, hey, yeah, there might be some swearing. Even Walmart. I remember I got my first album from Walmart that didn't swear. It was Life Jennings. And I was just kind of shocked that they allowed the word bitch and shit and everything. I don't know if Walmart really realized it was on there. But for me, that's why I started realizing like, Walmart is pretty uh, conservative, and for them to allow this type of record to be sold at their their stores, there's going to be a stepping stone somewhere. Eventually, it's going to change where things are going to be not well, so much more lenient, but more open to the public. You know what I'm saying? It's all commercialism, man. I mean, when it comes down to it, they really don't care what they sell to you and what you buy just as long as you buy it. So... If they do end up selling you something that has some bad lyrical content and you complain about it, well, you bought it, you know? They were probably just happy that you bought the record and not stole it from fucking Frost or Limewire. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what's really funny because you said CDs and records have them. I was just like, I can't believe they actually put those out still. <laughs> I, I don't even walk into Walmart's electronic section anymore. I haven't been back there in a while. I'm surprised that they don't have parental advisory on like Spotify and Apple and shit like I understand that they say like explicit on there but you would think that there would be some type of advisory sticker and for them to go away from that that shows that there's a difference in how they see lyrics now from how it was back in your day where bitch shit and all that wasn't on the radio to me where popping pills and pimping hoes is as common as it can be and I'm not saying it's good I'm not saying it's right. You, I don't want my fucking kids to be hearing that right now. Like, you know, them growing up. But I can understand where people are talking about, you know, not being, want to be censored. Because I remember my dad didn't want me to listen to Eminem when he came out. Like, my dad told me if he ever fucking heard me listen to him, he would fucking cut my throat. But then he takes me to go see the 8 Mile movie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it was kind of ass backwards because my dad didn't understand that what he was saying yeah, some of the shit was fucking crazy because the dude's insane, but he was smart and he was he was just trying to make it. You know, he had words that he wanted to say and people wanted to listen. And it was just a weird time at my age to come out for a white rapper to say all this shit that black people were saying and to say it at a level for all different colors to listen to it. It wasn't just the you black see, thing. the way I look at Eminem is, yeah, he is definitely one of the greatest lyricists ever. 
he did come out and he totally he, he changed the whole game and people didn't know what to think they didn't know i mean you you see youtube videos of rappers that will say i'll never battle him nas told or who was it? yeah nas told jay-z yeah. he, he was like you're stupid putting eminem on your track because he killed you on your own track right and it comes down to that to he's just on a level to where dude can just pick up a mic and just shit on it and he make a million dollars that's all it takes he has the ability to do it and along with that we're gonna go ahead and roll into our inspiration of the week so we're gonna go ahead and leave that to you roach from the dispensary on south decatur bohemian brothers star pie it is an indica 20.3 percent man we've been smoking on all week what can i say it smells like cheese tastes like cheese but gets you to the moon does a job <laughs> yeah it's got tricone for days now with that if you go ahead and you text DEALS to 702-508-9188, you can get all the new deals the dispensary offers. Like you said, they have locations in Henderson, Las Vegas, and Reno as well. Voted best dispensary in Vegas. Go ahead, check them out, and uh, we'll see you on the other side of this intermission. And we're back once again on this crazy ride. And we were just talking about the whole Easter thing again. <laughs> and we were wondering, what did chocolate bunnies and eggs have to do with Easter? I All I could think was rabbits and fucking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can think about, dude, is why else would you have a bunny during spring knowing that that's when bunnies end up humping and breeding you know more that's all i could think was that that it's promoting fucking you know fertility that's what i that, that's how i came about it yeah a lot of people do what it pertains to the fertility of rabbits and stuff it's basically just the spring equinox i mean everything is reborn everything has rebirth so fertility it symbolizes birth and it came out of uh the pagan holidays you know it's, it's funny how the christian holidays adopted the spring equinox into its own religion but it's something that they did to you know basically put everybody under one umbrella when they were all split apart you know they had a bunch of different pagan religions and then constantine everybody's going to be christian now well now you got all these pagan religions how do you adopt everybody into this one religion well you basically take all of the things that they're already used to following and just rebrand it so and that's how you end up, you know, with Jesus and hiding the eggs and <laughs> chocolate rabbits. <laughs> Dude, the funny story about Easter. I remember, uh, I don't know, I think it was right before um, I got in the military. We ended up fucking buying like four or five hundred, hundred little, little shots. And we went to someone's fucking <laughs> farm in the back and hit it around Easter. Dude, and the thing was is that everyone you found you didn't take it back with you 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 had to take it back empty <laughs> so you're pounding <laughs> shots fucking searching around this field dude i think within two hours you're just seeing bodies dropping everywhere all fucked up <laughs> somebody dude literally walked three miles and ended up at fucking mcdonald's and said fuck it said fuck it was like dude i ain't gonna search them up fucked up yeah, we used to have these things in north carolina uh, the north carolina trash it was this little community where you go out every sunday and you get it's kind of like a treasure map oh, but wow. it's a run 
and it's, it's not a long run it's only like 3k or whatever and you run and as you get to a certain point you look around and they stash a little thing of fucking beer so oh, shit. you got to drink the beer and then you take off for your next point and you run again and you find so by the time you get done you know you drink like six or seven beers now <laughs> was that down in Fayetteville I had, it was based out of Fayetteville that's where I got into it okay. uh, but we ran all over the place over in Raleigh you know there was even a run out in the outer islands and stuff like that so yeah, it's man. it's pretty fun top sail on that shit's nice dude for all you people if you ever get a chance to go down to North Carolina go down to top sail top sail's dope man Oh, what is top sail? Uh, I didn't know that. It's like a big beach that's headed towards Moorhead City. And man, it is like the tourist spot that I would compare it to like a Myrtle Beach. It's like a smaller Myrtle Beach, man. And it's just like a little sand community. But dude, the buildings are beautiful. The fucking food and alcohol is cheap. You get fucked up and eat food all day. I really love North Carolina. I mean, because you always had the attraction of both the mountains and the beach. Yeah. I, you know, it reminded me a lot of Italy. I just fucking hate it being human, man. I hate taking a shower. And oh, that's just the uh, Southeast America, man. <laughs> Come, coming Florida, from Florida, bro. it's it's ridiculous. It takes you three days to dry off from one shower. I mean, you were coming out here when you first got here, freezing like a motherfucker. You, because yeah. you were used to that Florida heat. Man. Yeah, I had I hadn't I hadn't seen snow in almost four years. <laughs> it was and pretty all of a wild. It snowed three times. <laughs> <laughs> the first the first week that I was here brought the bad luck, man. <laughs> so this is the kind of a topic that. I've been looking into all week and I wanted to talk to you about it because, and I wanted people to hear it, um, for the benefit of my generation and because you're intelligent, man, I ain't gonna lie. You're the one that's intelligent. I've never been accused of that before. (laughs) Stop lying to these people. (laughs) You've always been the intelligent one. I'm just the charismatic one. And I've been reading a lot. Um, they're saying now that's a surprise. Is it crayon or did they write in real print? Lick a stick, man. Lick a stick. (laughs) Marine jokes, marine jokes, fellas. So uh, there's a recession that they're saying is pending coming. Now, when I was in 2008, I had just gotten into the military. So the recession kind of hit us, but I was, I had a guaranteed paycheck. You know what I'm saying? So I wasn't. You kind of protected under the umbrella. Right. And, but I know a lot of my friends and family that were affected from it from losing their homes and you know some of them were almost finished to the degrees and then couldn't either a pay their fucking degree or once they knew that they finished it they weren't ever going to be paid it off for the next 10 15 years because the interest rate was fucked up from freddie freddie mac and freddie may or whatever the fuck yeah it was. freddie mac and because they sally may up. sally may there you go yeah. they fucked up the housing market and the education market by the bubble busting and yeah, my, my father ended up losing a lot of houses in that because he owned a lot of houses in Flint and Saginaw area. He ended up losing a lot of houses back in 2008. Now he only has, I think, maybe two. Now, did he own them houses? Um, yeah, he bought them outright. He, well, he's always been a real smart businessman. Uh, he actually started his business by building dog houses. Oh, okay. He used to uh, go around and pick up, like, the spare wood that he's seen just lying around, and he would just build a couple dog houses, sold, sold a couple of those. As soon as he made enough money from that, he went to uh, the auctions. Auctions over there in the big cities, you know, in the bad neighborhood. They would, it was some kind of deal. Like, he would get, like, two houses in the ghetto, one house in the semi-ghetto. And he worked his way up to where you would just have, like, two houses in one ghetto and then a house in a real nicer neighborhood. And then he would just turn around and flip the two 
ghetto ones. Now, were those houses, when he originally picked them up, were they, because like you said, they were in Flint Saginaw, and for people that don't know, Flint Saginaw were big auto industry uh, places. So did, did he pick them up before when like the industry was booming at it was time? it was just about to collapse actually because i know i know it was probably a little bit earlier i mean he's probably been doing this ever since i was born he came into my life when i was like 13 so he had been doing it for quite a while he had been a landlord for ever in a day and he has that he has that typical landlord look for michigan you know <laughs> yep. the flannel with, with the glasses, glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep. it is i used to tease him about it but you know he's a good man and uh, now he'd probably been doing this since, you know, maybe the early 80s, probably around the time that I was born. So it was around the time where, you know, the auto industry was really picking up in Michigan and the auto industry really started on its downfall in the ass end of the 90s, around 98, 99 is when it really crumbled through. And that's about 10 years before the whole uh, housing uh, bubble popped. But it was basically just the lead up to that. I mean, because as soon as, uh, you know, you've seen all of those factories and everything leave, you you know, you could tell that he was losing houses because people couldn't pay their rent. Right. So, and it was obviously something that, you know, no matter what he did, no, no matter how he prepared for it, it was something that he wasn't able to just keep up with. And it wasn't that he didn't own the houses outright because he was like i said he was very business he's a very business savvy and uh frugal person so he knows how to wheel and deal but more along the lines of he couldn't pay the taxes the property taxes or the expenses of keeping the house if he couldn't keep renters right because if they were fucking shit up you know and they weren't paying rent he couldn't afford to fix it so exactly so then it just you know they either fell in disrepair or you know he just had to go ahead and sell them all all together and, you know, some of them were in, in pretty bad spots. So, I mean, he owned the uh, the Russell house in Flint, which it was it was funny because he had owned this house for months and it wasn't it wasn't a, a bad looking house. It wasn't in the best neighborhood. It wasn't in the worst neighborhood. But I remember when I walked into that house, I was like, there's something very, very chilling about this house. There's something not right about the house. And I helped him fix it, you know, I refused to be in the house alone. You know, I was younger, I was probably like 12, and uh, I refused to be in the house alone. And I think I had moved down to Florida and it came out in the newspaper that 10 people had been murdered in the house, six people had been murdered in the house. It was known as the Russell Street Murder House. Yo, okay, before we <laughs> fucking, you know where I'm gonna be going with this because- before, Yeah, you're talking about the Emmons house. Bro, okay, so before we finish this conversation, you seems like you've been in some fucked up houses, man. <laughs> From because we've been watching uh, the Discovery uh, Channel where they show these haunted ass places. Ghost stalkers, I think. <laughs> I think that's the name of the man. show. And it has it's the, the guy from, from Fast, Fast and the Furious. Furious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we were talking, and this dude, man, has <laughs> has been in some crazy ass houses. And the thing is, is that he's older than me, so he knows history of places that. Of in uh, of in Carol that I didn't know existed. So tell us this, these couple fucked up stories that you uh, from you staying in Theo David's house to the murder house. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny talking about it because you know technically, I tell these I tell these stories and I've seen all these things, but I'm I'm, I'm still rather much of a skeptic. 
right. you know, because none of, none of the stuff has ever happened on on command. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> if if I can't see it twice, then I don't really believe it. Maybe I messed up or whatever. I don't know. But uh, what he's what he's speaking about, what El Rocho is speaking about, is I had an uncle who lived right next to a graveyard, and it's uh in this town called Cairo. It's a town that we grew up in when we were really young. I left at an early age. He left uh, rather later. And uh, the thing about this town, it's it's a bicentennial town. I mean, you got to understand that. I mean, no, this is an old town. I mean, the Montague is over 200 years old. It's one of the oldest towns in, you know, the Thumb of Michigan. It used to be an old logging community, and uh, they would pull the logs in from Saginaw and Bay City, and they would, all the rich people would live over in Cairo. So it's an old, old, old city. But around the 70s, which isn't so old, they had this house just across the street from my Uncle David's house, and a lot of if, if if you're from Cary, you might know a little bit more of the history better than I do, but it's called uh, the Emmons House, and a lot of people call it the Murder House because a lot of freaky stuff have, has happened in there. One of the incidents is I think it was the son killed um, his mother and his sister. Yeah. His little brother got away, was able to get a uh, help to get help before everything else happened, and then I think there was a domestic dispute between. A son's friend who Puts lived, friend. yeah, yeah a son's friend who lived, shot everybody, shot everybody, and then ended up out Sh- in the middle, of, shot shoot himself, himself, and then got hit by a fucking car. Yeah, and then the dad went and because he was at work, and they came home and seen it, and now what we read up that he's still in the fucking. Well, no, the one that's in the hospital is actually I, you know, I don't really want to put his name out, you know, to the world, but he was the brother, oh, the, the brother. brother who who. Uh, Killed the mother and the sister. Oh, okay. I, I believe he's the one that's still actually in the Cairo State Hospital to this day. That's wild, man. Yeah, and the thing is, like I said, it's such an old town, and it has so many things. Uh, have you ever heard about Crazy Mary? Never heard about that. You see, uh, Crazy Mary was somebody who lived out there. Uh, it was just past East Dayton Road. It's out there literally just on the cusp of the river, the Cass River. Okay. Right crossing the bridge. And uh, I'm not really sure the whole lore behind it is, but something to the effect as Crazy Mary's whole family either died or she killed her her husband or something like that. But they found her in her house, basically living with the family still there, Damn. like propped up. And what's crazy is, I think it was probably about 15 years ago. Me and a couple of my cousins and uh, one of our friends, we went out to there in the middle of the day, just, you know, smoke a joint and, you know, see what's going on, whatever, whatnot. God, oh, wow. No, this, I'm really showing my date. This was probably more than 15 years ago. (laughs) Getting old there, bro. Getting old. But I remember uh, me and my my cousin, Nana, we went inside and uh, I yelled really loud you know some pretty obnoxious stuff just to get a any kind of reaction i could and we heard a a creak come from the top of the second floor and we took off running and when we ended up getting back to the car this old person came out and just sat there and stared at us and they had like their face was expressionless there was no expression it almost looked like they were wearing an old person mask 
Have you ever seen that old dancing video with that that dude like walks up on the basketball court dancing crazy and he's got that old guy mask? Yeah. That's basically what this person looked like and all four of us jumped in that car and spent, we left track marks on that fucking road. <laughs> we were gone, dude. We were scared shitless because this person never said anything, but we were just thinking to ourselves, who the hell is this and where did they come from? Right. I mean, we're this place is in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. I mean, I could have been out there shooting guns, which we did regularly. We'd go out because it was right out there by Gun Club Road. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It, it was in that vicinity, so nobody... And you could go out there and shoot, and nobody would ever hear you. We went out there. I yelled a few obscenities at an old haunted house, and we had this old person just step out of the woods like, holy shit. I, okay, I believe I'm never coming back to this place again. I'm gone. Bye. <laughs> and that's just like the Anatica's Museum, man. Uh, when, that, when that first place opened, and... The whole town was against it because, you know, everybody's very religious in that town. And that's why a lot of businesses can't advance or flourish. And that's why shit doesn't pop off in Carrows because it is a very religious town. Well, when it's a very old school, traditional spot. I mean, I think it's I would have to say I would equate the Carrows kind of stuck in the 50s. Yeah, it's stuck in a time warp. Yeah. And when all them people uh, started putting uh, the wooden crosses in their window, for one, that was a sign of unity. I've never seen that town actually bind together because of one place, which that was weird to see. But for two, the next day after them fucking crosses were put up, dude, there was a report that was put out that around two or three o'clock in the morning that someone had committed suicide up above uh, one of the apartments that was uh, hanging up side town. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we, Carol has a bunch of, uh, businesses downtown with a lot of apartments that oversee the town and it's utterly like a uh four no three blocks is it yeah. three blocks it's it's a, a block, small yeah. three blocks very reminiscent to a neighborhood in new york yeah it's weird because there's business and bodegas and jewelry shops on the bottom yeah. and then on top is all residential walk-ups yeah and so you know they fucking said that someone i used to live up there I used to live up there. Yeah, I lived up there a few times. I love living downtown. Dude, me and Brendan, my best friend, we lived up above Fred, uh, Fred's men, Fred's men shop or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> the shop that's not to be mentioned ever again. <laughs> yeah, that, that place. So, fucking, uh, but dude, and then like a bunch of animals were convulsing and weird shit happening. I really believe like that town has a weird fucking vibe to it. It's just the way people just assimilate with each other if assimilate's a word i don't know it just well you also have to realize that Cairo, while it is a very old town the reason that it's set the uh at the spot that it said it's set right on the river and a lot of that town is actually chippewa land chippewa landians everybody thinks of that as just being the park on the edge of town no uh Cairo belonged a lot of Cairo belonged to the chippewa people so when you actually had to say that there's a good chance that any spot of Cairo at any point in time could actually be a burial ground. We had a house just across the street from elementary school, no, Shaw Elementary. And that's where I ended up, that's where I grew up the earliest part of my life. And I could tell you stories of that place. I mean, we had an aunt uh, that 
our ghost didn't like. And I say that with the straightest face possible because even as somebody who, like I say, I'm very skeptical myself uh, in my older age, I do remember incidences where this woman would come in. Now, if most etiquette with Michigan houses is that you enter in the back door. Right. Be and that's not because anything other than it's it's cold. Because you front door, you open your front door, you're going straight into the front door, everybody's sitting there, and all the heat, the heat escapes. So uh, the proper etiquette, most people, you know, they come, they knock on your back door, and then you walk in through the back door. Well, our back door, there's, he, she had to go through a kitchen, a dining room, and then get to our living room. Our ghost would throw shit at her. Yeah, and she would knock on the door. And I, either me or somebody else would have to walk all the way around and bring her in. If not, a ghost would throw shit at her. And even at times when we were with her, we would have to be behind her and rush her forward because it would throw shit at her anyways. Um, I remember uh, we had an aunt that was actually saying bad stuff about the ghost. And this was in the middle of like, you know, our usual card games, you know, our, our aunts and uncles are sitting around, you know, they're flicking out their dimes and their nickels <laughs> and they're yeah. playing there. She's just sitting there talking shit about, you know, supposedly the ghost, whatever, whatnot. And she gets slapped out of her chair and there was a hand mark on her face and everybody was just looking like, holy shit. You know, we had these incidences in this house, like constantly all the time. And a lot of it was equated to being me. Uh, they said a <laughs> lot of bad stuff about me being, you know, the devil child, the devil's child, you know, whatever, whatnot. Because you know, I, you know, I, I, I always considered them being imaginary friends. But the way most adults see it is that I was that creepy kid from Sixth Sense. <laughs> I've seen dead people. That was back when I was younger, and it was everywhere around that town. Everybody, there's there's history in like every house right across the street. My uncle David's other house. I mean, his house was bicentennial, technically speaking. You couldn't do anything to that house unless it was original. You know what I mean? Right. So that house has been sitting there for two hundred years. You're trying to tell me some messed Pretty up shit, shit didn't go exactly. <laughs> and Cairo is also a place that is known for. You know, like you said, there is a very high traditional Christian community within the within the town. It's, it has a very strong core of church community throughout the whole town, even different sects and, you know, religions. And back in the day, there were things that had to do with Satanism and, you know, people wanted to do devil worship. And even though they're not exactly right in what they're, you know what their goal was and how to get to that goal and what they believe that Satanism and uh, devil worshiping is, it still happened. And who knows? They could have opened something up in there. And then you have the, so you have many different factions of how you could just have a really fucked up spiritual community. Right. You got Indian burial grounds. You got ultra Christians, fundamentalists, you know, because a lot of them were the Puritans. A lot of German Puritans settled in the area along with, you know, the wannabe Satanists, the wannabe devil worshippers that are doing messed up shit that could really mess up, you know, just the vibe and energy of a place. That's California. So, yeah. You got to love the little town, man. <laughs> so let's get back on track. And like, because I really want to talk about this man. And 
from the aspect of how do we save people from fucking crashing and burning like it did in 2008? Because I don't want my friends, I don't want my family, I don't want my kids, I don't want my kids to fucking be struggling because they're right on the cusp. Even my oldest daughter, you know, she's only a few years short. And once, if this bubble does pop, man, she will literally be at the crisp of her own recession. And I don't want that shit to happen to her, man. So what do we got to do as a society to protect ourselves from fucking up and being, you know, back to ground zero again? It all comes down to education, man. I mean, you think about it. If you do not learn your history, then you're always doomed to repeat it, right? Right. Now, this 2008 bubble, I mean, 2008, think about that's 11 years ago. You know what I mean? That was 11 years ago. So now you have a generation that's coming up that's going into the same predicaments, only it's going on a different scale. Because back then, it was more of a real estate bubble. It was more along the loans of for property that people couldn't pay for. Now it's education. One, the whole education system being so damn expensive is, is just in the shitter. And I don't condone really state-run schooling because that just dumbs down the education system. However, the the kids that we not you know I'm not even gonna say the kids because that just sounds demeaning. You know what I mean? Right. The younger individuals that we have going into school these days, the ones that are coming around the age of their masters and then the freshmen themselves, they have this idealism which is a social democratic AOC look on life to where we're going to change the world and I'm going to be able to take out these loans and eventually schooling will be free because the people that I'm voting for are going to make the socialism ideals happen, right? Right. But they're not, they don't realize that back when they were in eighth grade, back when they were, you know, in elementary or middle school or whatever, when we were going through this huge bust, which was only 11 years ago. And they don't understand what that really was because they're not looking at the history because they're thinking of it more along the lines of, you guys messed up, we're going to fix it, right? Right. And the way they're going to fix it is through? Spending more money. Exactly. And the only way you can spend more money is to take out loans and take out shit, which falls into your your little socialism fucking pyramid scheme that they're trying to do, because the way that they're seeing it is they're going to be able to change it eventually to the point where they're going to be able to get free education. Now, if you're going to be able to get free education, there's already programs in right now where they're trying to forgive student loan debt. So they're working with the safety net that they're not going to have to worry about it in two years, three years, four years, five years. They don't understand that people that are my age are still paying off their student loans. So they're probably going to be forgiven first if that's going to happen at all whatsoever. Right. The people that are are working and taking out all this extra money to become underwater basket weavers they're not going to see a return in that money because one, there's no demand for their field that they're getting majors in. I'm sorry. I look, I respect women 100%, but if you major in women's studies, all you're really going to be able to get a job in is being a professor of women's studies. Exactly. And ask your professors how much they make. 
if you want to be a professor, if you want to be somebody who actually contributes in and educates young minds, you're not in it really for the money. And they'll tell you there's really no money in being a teacher. There's no money in being a professor. You have to do that as a passion. You have to have a passion for people to learn under your tutelage. That is what a professor is. You're not getting into this for the money. The only way you're making money as a professor is if you're selling books on the side. You're selling lectures on the side. You're not making money as a professor. So if you're in a, a field, if you're majoring in a field that is only going to lead you to another professorship, if you major in philosophy, what are you going to do in the real, real world, my friend? I mean, there's not much. You're going to be a professor of? Philosophy. <laughs> exactly. Do a lot of talking. Exactly. And I'm not saying, I'm not shitting on those professions. Look, it no, it's you. I mean, obviously, we do need professors that teach women's studies. We do need teachers, to, uh, professors to teach philosophy. These are concepts that need to be tossed or handed down throughout time, no matter what. So I'm not shitting on that as a profession. But when you have a market flooded of 10, 1500 fucking women's studies professors. And there's only 30 jobs. I mean, you can't complain you, about the education system when you fucked yourself. Yeah, you need to do something that's in. Another thing that I look at when it comes down to education is something that you know, one of the guys that I hold very high up is Mike Rowe. And he's he's the host of Dirty Jobs. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. This guy, he has no agenda or whatever, whatnot. This dude is just plain, simple, smart. He's, he's just, he's on it, man. And he said, you know, maybe college isn't the right thing for everybody. And it's not. And I can understand that. Me being a person who has been through college a few times, going for a few degrees, I can see that college isn't for everybody. You know, a good technical school will get you more out of life than a four-year degree of shitting away trying to become something that literally 30,000 people are trying to become. And there's only... That's all you're going to college for. You know, a lot of them, a lot of them are just going A to make their parents The social experience. And that's it, you know. Or instead... You know what? You can go to a technical college for one year, go get yourself some, now go be an adult and go enjoy life. You know what I'm saying? And be in a real adult where you're spending the money that you're getting back. You know what I'm saying? In college, like you said, you're just fucking shitting out money because you personally go to college. You know what I'm saying? You personally go to college. So do you feel that you could afford college if you wouldn't have joined the military to... Oh, most definitely not. So no. it's like, do you in your own mind, I know you appreciate being able to go to a college and going, the things that are, it has afforded you and has helped you out, you know, to the point that to get you here. But there's a lot of people, like you said, that they just go in there for the social experiment and then either A, they phase out because they can't keep the grades or B, they financially can't fucking do it. And then they shit out like in the middle of their first, what is it, bachelor's for your first one? Yeah. No, no. Your first one is associates. Associates. So they don't even finish their associates. So now they've spent, you know, 10 grand on a one, you know, for a first year just to burn out. Now that's a total waste of money. Now you could have went to a technical scholarship. And most of the time, most of the time when they do that, that year, they take out the FAFSA, the financial aid, federal student loan. So that's a lot of what you're talking about. Now they've gone, they've gone ahead and taken that out. They've got their FAFSA. 
Now, here's the thing. If you flunk out of FAFSA, if you don't maintain your GPA, you got to pay that money back. Okay, so it's not a grant? No. Okay. No, that's a sta- Stafford grants are given to you. You have to apply for those and you have to qualify for them. And they'll give, they're given to you. But the majority of people that you're talking about taking out student loans, what they end up doing is going through FAFSA. And FAFSA will pay your, your classes and everything and they'll give you a certain amount of money. Okay. Now, when I first started my school, my, my, my college career, I went through FAFSA and I ended up pulling out, I think it was $1,300 extra. That's it because I didn't have to pay a lot. You know, military paid for everything. But if I didn't maintain a certain GPA, then I had to pay that money back. And that money is given to you straight out, up, forward, front. It's handed to you, put into your account. So it's yours. Now, you can either hold on to it to make sure you pass that class or you can use it for what you need it for, living expenses. Right. Now, if I didn't pass those classes, then I would have to pay that back. If I ended up failing out of school and taking a whole year's worth of FAFSA, now you're talking about $1,300 for, you know, four quarters. That's 5200 bucks. Right? That's. Some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And that and, adds up. And people end up taking out a lot more than that because... That's just what I took out just for, because I, I never really needed much. Some people take out what they would need for the whole year, you know, in living expenses and, and so on and so forth. And that could be 40, 50 grand. Yeah. Right out the jump. And then, you know, like you said, you, you flunk out, you're fucked spending 50, you know, you already You're going to have to pay that back somehow. <laughs> and the thing is, is that what people don't understand is that when you and your homie graduate at 18... You both both start off at the same fucking foot, whether you guys, you're going to a fucking junior community college or the, and your homie's going to Harvard. You guys both start at ground zero. Now, your homie at Harvard could still fail out. Like, just because you go to Harvard doesn't mean you're not fucking stupid. Like, so that dude that spent the hundred, you know, the hundred grand for the fucking first year to go could burn out in one year. Now, this dude's a hundred thousand dollars in debt starting off at 19 years old. Imagine that you are starting off with a fucking house that you should have already paid for with something else. Now you're dragging this fucking house load with you at 19 years old. Now, by the time you get 25, now this house is collect interest. Now it's got a house and kids inside of it. And on top of it, everything that you've already tried to apply for, like your car loan and a real house. And maybe you had a kid or a family got married. Now you got all this fucking financial responsibility by the time you're 25. By the time you're 30, you'll fucking collapse. You'll literally collapse, and you're going to be spending the next 30 years paying off what you did your previous 10 years. And that's why our economy is so fucked up. That's why at this point, man... Well, everybody is just fed into the whole you need to have an education and go into college just to be successful. Now, I'm going to tell you anecdotally, from my point of view, I had a business, and I was making six figures a year. And what's funny is I made that six figures a year on my $250 business license. And my associate's degree didn't play one moment in it. Right. So you can, if, if you learn a trade, learn a trade. If anything, if there's any kind of advice that I could give to a future generation, as early as you can learn a trade, whether it's turning wrenches, whether it's 
you know helping sick people being helping sick people fixing yeah computers welding yeah. whatever it is just learn a trade if you want to go ahead and do the college thing as long as you know that trade then there's a good chance that you're going to be able you're good in life you're fine you're going to be able to make money if you just go into college to become a underwater basket weaver then that's all you have and guess what dude don't complain when you're flipping burgers at the end of your food. There's no underwater basket weaving fucking professions in the world. At all. You know what I'm saying? You have, just learn a trade and don't ever bet on money that you don't have in your pocket. And that's what you do every time you take a loan out, every time that you apply for a credit card, every time that you make a transaction and there is not a physical exchange of some kind of currency if there's not a physical trade then it is a loan and you really need to think about what that loan could turn into you in the in the future so don't bet on money that you don't have right i mean if you have a visa card for emergencies fine and dandy that's that's something that you probably always want but always make sure that once you use it for that emergency that thing gets put back in the safe until that emergency money is paid off and stop trying to chase what fucking Becky's got and what's got Don, you know, like stop trying to be like everybody else. I've realized that. And this is the reason why I'm saying it. You know, when we talked about hip hop and culture in the first segment, you know, I, like I said, I grew up seeing motherfuckers with chains and fucking gold and these big ass houses, and these big ass rides. And that's why my uncle Arthur is always King Art has always called me Kling Kling because I've always rocked that man. That's why I've always I've always had a sense of man. I want to look like this next person. But what I realized, man, is me trying to the next person fucking bankrupt me because we were just talking about this earlier about Versace and Gucci. You know, I love Gucci. I love Versace. I love Chanel. I love that shit. And over here fucking el mafioso <laughs> over here you know, he's got up. the pinky rings and everything <laughs> you know so like all this money on the shit but then when you go over to this other country where it's from and you're telling me you bought a fucking versace suit for 200 bucks that's like a shot in my foot man like that that sucks for the person of my view it makes me realize that everybody that have been idolizing thinking that they got all this mad money they're just flaunting it when really they're spending it just like as if they were walking into walmart because that's what it kind of seems like you know i know yeah definitely they're they're afforded the opportunity to go to places where they can buy the stuff for cheaper i mean if you go down right to the source of versace i mean living in italy i was able to buy suits for real cheap so you got a guy named tupac who's jumping on planes because he's being paid to go all around the world to rap He's going to be afforded the opportunity to go ahead and stop in at the Versace tailor, the headquarters, and say, hook me up with a suit. Now, this suit's not, especially in the 90s, that suit's not going to be two, $3,000. Right. However, you sitting here in America aren't going to have an Italian tailor from Versace making you a suit. So, if I want to sell you a suit that a, a, a legitimate Versace Italian tailor made... I could pretty much name my price. You right? spike that bitch way up. Exactly. That's how Kanye West got away with the two hundred dollar white tees. Which I will hold that against you <laughs> until the day that I die. I don't care. That is the way it is, Kanye. Fight me if you don't like it. I don't care, Kanye. If you do hear this, man, I do <laughs> want to interview. 
That is the reason why I have this podcast. I swear to God on that. That is the reason why I'm doing this. I want to <laughs> interview Kanye. If you hear this, get at me. So I don't want people thinking that it's not cool to go out and spend the money that you've fucking been busting your ass all week. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of people that be growing up like, oh, dude, you got to save, 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 save. And I get it. I get it, dude. I get it now. But don't go out and fuck, dude. If it's you not can't about saving; a, it's about budgeting. Yeah, like if you can't afford a fucking Mercedes, don't go get a Mercedes. Go get a fucking nice Honda. Don't let people's perspective. Oh, dude, you just got a fucking bust ass ride. At least I got a ride. There's a lot of motherfuckers that will shit on you about what you got, but in all reality, they they got a bus pass. Yeah, for real, dude. They don't even got a bus. Don't pass. shit on my Pinto when you fucking ride in the two line, bitch. <laughs> How your shoes feel? <laughs> like, and that's what I. I just I don't want to see my future destroyed, dude. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to see my kids fucking struggling because my dad didn't want to see me struggle i that's why i asked you earlier about what you felt you should have been at your age right now like back in my day i always i always talk about my dad because my dad has always been who i magnified my level to be if i didn't reach a certain point to where my dad was at how i felt then I don't feel like I succeeded. And I feel at this point, like my dad, if he could sit in this room with us right now, he would be like, damn, yo, like you're doing something all right. And I want that, man. Like I want, I want to be able to tell my children that and give them, make sure that they have the opportunities afforded that we can, you know, that we've succeeded through because we didn't have to go through like the great depressions and shit like that. But we felt the recession. We knew it was like fucking penny pension. That sucked. And I don't want that to happen to our youth, man. I don't want them to fucking not be able to go get a nice house. I don't want them to not be able to get a nice car or go to a nice school because they feel like they have to hold themselves back because they feel like someone's going to fucking pull the rug from underneath them because that's what it's been like for the last 10 years. And now that we're finally reaching to a level where people are going getting car loans and going get nice houses. They need to go back and actually like... You know, do a little bit of research on back when they were younger because they've heard about it. But like I said, they don't they don't really pay two minds about it because it doesn't get likes. It doesn't get hearts. It doesn't, you know, get the snappy chats. (laughs) You know, they don't they don't really care about what happened 10 years ago because that's not going to happen to them. So what I always say is, look, I said it just three minutes ago, four minutes ago, find a trade do something other do something with your life other than surf social media and hope that you're going to be the next jane mansfield or the next you know gorillas in the mist chick you know it learn a trade and if you do decide to go to college always have a second plan i didn't have a second plan my plan like my you asked me like what what would be making it right i made it at where i was i made it i was in the military i was rising in the ranks i was you know an nco where i should be right now at the age 36 i should be a sergeant major a salty ass grunt somewhere pissed off that i gotta listen to these dumbass privates or maybe even an operator sitting on top of a mountain calling in rounds i mean for me there was no second plan there wasn't 
my only plan ever since I was a little kid was to be airborne, was to be in the military, and was just be a Banff, a badass motherfucker. Night and day, Rambo, no way. Rambo ain't got shit on me. Fuck you, King Kong. Denzel is a puppet compared to what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Right. That was my plan. And, you know, life throws us curveballs. And I'm speaking from experience. I didn't have that second plan. I didn't think about anything. Luckily for me, I have a very high aptitude for learning and just doing shit in general. So, I, you know, I, I was able to adapt and overcome. That was a pretty easy thing for me to do. But a lot of people don't have that. And the only thing that I can tell them is to learn your history. Do not bet on money that isn't there and learn a trade. Just always have a second plan because you know what? Your, your first plan might not work out. Hey, look, I get it. You might get a lot of likes on your Instagram model page. But you know what? What happens if the Internet goes down? What if they do end up deciding to go to a... A socialist democratic system and then next thing you know we're living like you know communist china you know china only has one website they can go to they don't have instagram and shit like that you know every time you see anything from like china and stuff like that that's from fucking taiwan they were talking about taiwan earlier why is taiwan this we got a we got a listener from taiwan hey i don't know who you are buddy but if you man you need to get on our Facebook and leave us a comment because we got some questions for you, brother. For real. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't see stuff like that in China, and Taiwan's the closest thing that we have to anything like a democratic system over there. It's a lot of the reasons why they say, why do we support Israel? Because Israel's the only democratic system that we have in the Middle East. I mean, everybody else has fallen under a theocracy or a communist regime. You know what I'm saying? Right. We don't want to live in those days where, you know, all of a sudden you can't go to Instagram or you have to wear this on Instagram and you can't show this on Facebook or Snappy Chat or whatever the fuck. Because we are in the system that we gave into, the socialist system, and now they're telling us what we can and can't see. You know what I mean? And that's what we're working against. And that all comes down to this housing bubble and everything and and, and the student loan bubble. I mean, it's going to happen, but you can't panic from it because they're going to use it to create fear. And when they create that fear, they're going to use that fear to to whip you into line to where they want you to be. Trust, trust, trust me. When everybody thinks about the Republicans and everything like that on the right and how they, they don't like them because they're racist or whatever, bottom line is this, is they want to deregulate as much of the government as possible. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Our party lines in America is right and left. It's deregulation as opposed to more regulation. Who wants to restrict your gun laws more? The Democrats do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Who wants to uh, say what you can and can't say on social media? The liberal left. I mean, who shuts down Twitter if you, you know, say anything wrong about Fucking anybody or the government? Anybody. Yeah, I mean, and Twitter's ran by a leftist. You know, and I, I'm not, I, there's flaws in both parties. You know what I'm saying? There's flaws in both left and right. I'm a centrist myself. But when it comes down to it, you really got to think about it. You have one side of, of the coin that's really just 
trying to dumb you down as much as possible. They're trying to overhaul the whole college system so that it will frame you into thinking that they want. You know what, man? I was just in an English literature class and I had to do a report on something controversial and I chose universal health care. And the only stipulation to this in class essay was that we had to use the school's library site. Oh, so you could only pick the information that they chose to fucking give it to you. And everything I chose, none of it, like, my biggest problem with it was I was talking about the incident that happened with Elfie Evans in, in London, which is a universal healthcare system. That's an infant who was declared brain dead, and his, his parents are trying to get him to live. But the English parliamentary said no. So they basically chose this that, you know, helping this kid will no longer be beneficial to the parliament or the United Kingdom. So they're just going to let him die. So they took him off ventilation. They took him off life support and he he lived. And their next step was to remove the feeding tube. They're like, we're not going to feed him anymore through his feeding tube. So these people chose for him to die. Uh, This we had. The Vatican, uh, Italy, offered to make him a citizen of Italy just so he could be taken to Italy to receive medical care. Um, Obama even offered help. Mm-hmm. You know, bring him here to America. We'll see what we can do. If not, then we'll keep him on life support for as long as the family chose. You know, until the family felt like they could say goodbye. After all resources were exhausted then. But the English parliament decided because they have a universal health care system this kid was going to die and i looked all over our school's library their media library everything i couldn't find nothing because they didn't want you to know nothing no and when i when i brought that up with the professor the professor came down she said i want to apologize she literally sat down she says i know exactly what you're talking about and what you have to understand is that the college that you're attending is a very liberal college. And when I say it's a liberal college, we had a professor shoot himself in the arm. I think it was like a year and a half ago to protest President Trump. That's how liberal the staff and faculty are at my college, which is very hard for me because me being a libertarian, and very centrist person, it's it fucks with your vibe. It, it does. And when I bring up certain subjects and I automatically get shut down because I've had people call me racist right there in the middle of the class. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm brown. I thought I thought people of color weren't able to be racist. (laughs) (laughs) But it happens. And the generation of today, they take everything at face value. And they are optimistic. They're very optimistic because they believe in some of the unicorn fantasies and the dreamlands that, you know, some people perpetuate in our day. But yeah, the thing is, I don't think they so much per- perpetuate it is that. Oh, no, they, they most had, definitely do. But the thing is, they had those opportunities, the opportunities that were told to us, the fairy tales of the American dream weren't fairy tales. At one point, if you worked. You could go get a house and you could afford and a that's, house. And that's still and that still stands true. 
But the thing is, is you have to realize what avenue of work are you willing to do? I mean, and that's the biggest thing because we talk about our families and our elders, right? right? They did whatever they could do just to make sure that we had a proper upbringing, a roof, food, electricity, clothing, and a nice place to sleep at night. And if you're lucky, a dog. <laughs> because they're the greatest treasures in the whole fucking world. I don't care what anybody says. But it comes down to whether or not what kind of work you want to do and the level of success that you want to reach. We have a boss that has reached the upper echelons of her field. Now think of that. We also have a cousin who is in the same field. field. And she herself has ran businesses of the same sort. You know what I'm saying? It comes down to the level of work and where you want to do it. Now, if you get out of college and you put your foot down and you put your lip out and you cross your arms and you just say, I'm not going to be getting paid enough because I don't want to be working at Target. Well, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Jamal. That's where you're going. That's what you're going to have if you choose the, the, the degree that you, that you went for. And maybe you're not a college person, like I said. Maybe you just went to college and after you get out of college, you're disillusioned and you don't, you no longer want to be a chef. You no longer want to be a philosopher, you know, but you've just spent thousands and thousands of dollars becoming just that. I mean, that's what I did. Right. I mean, I spent, well, I didn't spend, you know, the government did, but you earned it. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference. Yeah. Through through TA, I earned my associates, you know, become a civil engineer. And then I realized I don't want, like, when I first got into college, I was going to be a culinary major. You know, I wanted to be a chef. I love to cook. Man, I can cook my ass off. So there if there's go. any single women out there that like short dudes, that look like battle dwarves, that can cook, holla at your boy. <laughs> Maybe ugly, but he can cook. <laughs> and I make up for it in personality. <laughs> but... You know what I'm saying? People get disillusioned like throughout their college careers. When I first went in, I wanted to be a chef. And then when I realized that when you become a chef, you no longer really cook. You just set menus, do schedules, do inventory and stuff like that. You become basically just a manager. Right. I, I got disillusioned. I was just like, I no longer want to do this. I don't I don't want to be a cook anymore. You know, I want to be an architect now, you know. So I went and I got my civil engineering degree. And now I have this civil engineering degree and I'm back in Florida, but I find a job where I'm making really, really good money right out the starting gate. And then I turn that into a business itself. I no longer use a civil engineering degree, but I will go and I buy this, you know, trades license, you know? So now I got a trade, a tradesman's license doing aluminum that has nothing to do with my civil engineering degree. And I'm fucking killing it. I'm making six figures a year. You know, there's always different avenues. Which way, how hard do you want to work and which way do you want to work? Now, obviously, if you want to get into the business world, you're going to have to do something to get into that business world. The best way to do that is through college. And then through college, you're going to go ahead and learn your different marketing schemes. And when you get into these different marketing schemes and get into these different social circles, you can use that to go ahead and branch out and become a business. But now... If I want to become a professional chef, 
you know, how many chefs are in college right now at, at Le Cordon Bleu? How many chefs are in the Art Institute? You know what I mean? There's, there's fucking thousands and thousands of them. So setting yourself apart is going to be a little bit harder. You know what I'm saying? But now at the same time, now me being a civil engineer, I can go and I can build fucking anything I want. Because I have that education, all I got to do is go to any city, present my my credentials, and then I can go ahead and get my references, and I can get a trades license as you know a subcontractor or something like that, and I can draw blueprints and stuff like that. Not exactly an architect, but I can build simple residential shit. You know what I mean? If I'm not using that, I also have this trades license. Which I ended up making a killing on. Right. So you can always, like I said, when you go to college, learn a trade as well. And no matter what you do, you can always find somebody to teach you a trade. Yeah, because I don't know shit about fucking construction and shit, but you do, you know, and we fucking go around all day, go in all these stores, fix shit. Yeah, I taught you how to set a toilet the other day. Yeah. And the only reason I know that is because, you know, some old man that, you know, decided to take on a 13 year old boy and his mom you know what i'm saying and help you out exactly and it's all about fucking you know dedication man because like you said you know to have a plan b but don't necessarily have a plan b to fall back on have a plan b b when you fully just in case yeah when you fully exercise everything from your plan a i hate motherfuckers even myself dude because i'm the type of person that Dude, I can get 98% of the way done and I can see everything the way through. But at the end, I end up pulling the ripcord and being done and quitting because something came in this circumstance that I didn't like or I didn't want to put up with and I didn't want to finish it out. And that's a lot of the problem with patience is a virtue. It really is, man. Like you got to deal with the bumps and the bruises to appreciate the fucking finer things in life because I truly... Man, if I wouldn't have went through the shit that I've been through in the past 30 years, we definitely wouldn't be sitting in a fucking Moroccan mansion. I'm telling you that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, so for motherfuckers to say that it's not possible or, you know, oh, it must be nice. Stop saying, oh, it must be nice. No, go out there and pursue go it. Go fucking get it yourself because it's real. It's not a facade. It's not just in movies. It's not just in fucking shit you see every day. Hard work makes fucking great things. And if you don't want to put in the hard work, somebody else will. I promise you that. And stick with it, man, because the room wasn't built in a day. 100%. All right. And along with that, we're going to go ahead and uh, call this one quits. So with that said, from that guy and El Rocho. Till the next trip, man.